This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 388, and you're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some of the little tricks. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, Daniel Glass here. I want to welcome you all back to the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. I am your host, Daniel Glass. In case uh, you hadn't noticed, um, in the last few weeks I've been doing a lot of traveling, and so we decided to make the show um, twice a month. So we're not going to be launching every week. We'll be putting out a new episode of the Daniel Glass Show every other week. I also want to point out before we jump into today's topic that once again, uh, the Daniel Glass uh, New York Jazz Intensive is coming up in just about a month, June 1 through 4, 2018. And um, I may or may not have mentioned this on the podcast, but our guest on uh, on the Daniel Glass New York Jazz Intensive is going to be the great Carl Allen. Uh, he'll be joining us to do a clinic and work with the students there. Um, and so if you're interested, uh, there's still time to register. We do have a few slots left, just a couple, I think. And um, so uh, go over to danielglass.com and check out the clinics slash intensives tab in the main menu. You can find out everything uh, about that. So with all that said, um, it's been a whew, it's been a busy time for me. I've done a massive run of gigs. I've been traveling a lot. I was in Argentina, I think I mentioned, and um, uh, I'm going to Budapest, Hungary in a couple of weeks to work with the Budapest Jazz Orchestra, which is one of the top, if not the top big band over there. I'm really excited about that. Part of that program that we'll be doing is a, uh, a tribute to, well, I don't know if it's a tribute, but it's it's Buddy Rich's, celebrating Buddy Rich's 101st birthday. So we'll be doing a few Buddy Rich tunes, and I've been heavily in the shed getting ready for that. As you can imagine, uh, attacking Buddy Rich material is never easy under any circumstances. Um, but hopefully uh, that's going to be happening uh, May, uh, just in about nine days I leave. So I think the show itself is on May 12th, Saturday, May 12th, I think. Uh, so, um, that's where I've been, and I, uh, Marilyn May just had her 90th birthday run, that was seven shows at 54 Below, and I've been doing a lot of other freelance work around New York City, so, um, it's been busy, and that's why I decided to do the podcast every two weeks instead of every week, so that's what the disruption has been about. Um, today I wanted to follow up on last, the last episode, which talked about the importance of grip. This, of course, would be the importance of grip part two. And what I really went over in part one is sort of discussing the the why of grip. In other words, why it's important. Um, what are sort of the um, the the primary elements of of grip, and uh, just a, an overall discussion of of the importance of grip. And today I'm going to really focus actually on the three primary grips. We're going to talk about each one and kind of break each one down. I know that might be hard to do without a visual, but I think I will put up some videos to help to uh, clarify what I'm talking about. So if you go to the show notes of this podcast, uh, there'll be some video links uh, for each grip. These are links that I typically, I have a whole library of short videos that I... um, that I share with my students. So if you're studying on Skype, for example, um, for each lesson, I will send you a um, series of videos for whatever exercises that we're covering so you have um, reference material to work on while you're practicing. So I'll, I'll, these are normally unlisted videos only for my students. I don't share them publicly, um, but I will share a couple of them publicly, at least for the time being. Um, to just sort of enhance what it is that I'm talking about in this podcast related to grip. So we did establish in the last uh, episode that there are three main grips, and those three grips are the French grip, the German grip, and the traditional grip. 
We're going to talk about each one, like I said, get into some details, some history about each one, and then talk about the key fundamental elements. And as I described in the last episode, uh, those three fundamental elements are uh, the, the actual grip component. In other words, where are we holding the stick? How are we holding the stick in our hand? The um, fulcrum component, the balance component, balance point, as it were, the lever over which the stick moves. And lastly, the hinge point, which you could say is the point on the body, on the hand or wrist itself, that actually moves or bends uh, when we uh, essentially control or move the stick. So these are the three things I'm going to cover with each of the three grips. Um, I'm going to start with and I guess I should say, you know, sort of a a, uh, a disclaimer at the beginning that the way that I teach grip, the way that I understand grip, the way I learned grip, the tradition from which I uh, learned about these things is not the only way. You know, a lot of people think they learn something from a teacher and then and everything else is wrong. And as I mentioned in, in the last episode, there is no wrong way as long as what the way you're holding the stick, the way that you're moving... Uh, allows you to do everything you want to do musically without hurting yourself or causing excess tension. So again, that's a rather simple statement, but to achieve that, to really do whatever it is that you want, to get to a very high level of hand technique and not have excess tension or in some way cause pain is a difficult thing to do. And that's why uh, there's so much um, attention paid, at least, you know, in I mean, that, that's why the study of grip has been so intense, because it's, it's sort of like um, a Rubik's Cube in a way. You know, you could get one layer where you could say get all of one side to be the same color, but now you got to deal with the rest of the cube. And the more you dig in and the more that you try to solve that puzzle, the more, you know, uh, you find layers upon layers upon layers. So that's, that's the exciting thing about studying grip. That's the cool thing about it. And so, again, we're just going to kind of get into the basics, the beginnings. So let's start with the German grip. Now, the German grip is, <clears throat> the reason I'm starting with the German grip is because it is the most common grip. It's the grip where your hand is essentially on top of the stick. And uh, as opposed to the French grip where the thumb is on top of the stick and the traditional grip where the hand is underneath the stick. So German grip, the, the hand is on top of the stick. Now... Um, this, this grip actually, even though it's the one that's most commonly used by most drummers is, uh, in my opinion, the hardest one to teach because everyone has invested so much time in whatever their version of the German grip is that people have developed a lot of really ingrained, uh, habits and way of moving with regard to this grip. And that can get them into trouble because they're their muscle memory is really stuck in these patterns. And I, I don't like to use the term bad habits, but, um, you know, a bad habit to me is a way of positioning your hand or your wrist or the way you're holding the stick that is causing tension or pain or is not allowing you to do what it is that you want to do as a drummer. So if that's how we would define a bad habit, then yes, uh, a lot of people have developed bad habits uh, from playing the German grip. And uh, so... You know, I think another reason why it's harder to teach the German grip is because the hand is on top of the stick. And all of the action, you know, where the grip is and where the fulcrum is and those things are all underneath the hand. Uh, and so the hand's on top. You can't really see what's going on that clearly. And I think a lot of people then end up with a lot of um, misconceptions or mistaken ideas about how they're supposed to be holding the stick or how they're supposed to be moving, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you want to, to get a really terrific look at the German grip or really understand what, what, in my opinion, is a perfect German grip, I suggest you go uh, to the book Syncopation by Ted Reed. And this is a, a book that almost every drummer who's done some studying has studied out of this book, at, at least over the last many generations. The book is extremely popular. It's one of the best-selling drum books ever. So that's why I use it uh, a lot. It's a terrific book. It's a good template upon which you can uh, apply a lot of different uh, ideas, rhythmic ideas and technique ideas and all kinds of stuff. So the the uh, if you look at Ted Reed's positioning, you know, his, his, essentially his, his right hand, his right hand is in a perfect 
German grip. And so maybe if you're listening to this and you want to grab Ted Reed's syncopation, as I talk about the grip, you can uh, take a look at that and, and verify the visual of what, uh, of what I'm talking about. And then again, as I said, there'll be a link and I might post a video about sort of breaking down how we hold the stick in the German grip. So um, what, what, is the, what are the components in the German grip? The, com the, the, the first component is the where we're holding the stick, the grip component. So if you imagine making a loose fist, sort of like, I, I like this analogy, and I think I talked about it in the last episode, um, like you're holding a baby bird. And you, you hold the stick in there, in that loose fist. And what, what I want you to imagine is that you're going to take your thumb, it's, you're going to lay it on the side of the stick, and you're going to stretch it out. So that if you looked at your hand, there would be no bend in your thumb where it connected to the hand. So the thumb is sort of stretched out on the stick. And directly across from the thumb is your index finger. And your index finger is simply hanging down. So if you were to take the stick out of your hand and you simply were to press your thumb against the index finger flat, it would just be pressing against the side of the index finger. So essentially when you hold the stick in the German grip, it's as if you are pushing the stick into the index finger um, from the side. The fulcrum component, the, ba the balance component, is the middle finger. And that is the only finger that is actually underneath the stick, meaning wrapped around the stick. And what you want to imagine is um, that the, the stick is actually sitting on the middle finger. So, and if you imagine that you had no other fingers, and the only finger that you had, the middle finger, went under the stick, um, where the stick would sit is where it would balance over the index finger, um, like sort of like a seesaw. So I've got a practice pad here, and um, I would like you to, to, tr to try this little experiment. Um, pull all your fingers, you know, hold, hold the stick lightly and loosely in your hand. Hand is on top of the stick, but pull all the fingers off it so it is literally just sitting on your middle finger. And lift your wrist up and just drop that stick over that middle finger. Now you can hear that my stick is taking its time and is sort of bouncing maximally through. If I move the stick forward so there's no butt end sticking out the back side and I'm, I'm basically my hands all the way at the back of the stick and I do the same experiment now listen to what happens the stick dies it's not well balanced it doesn't take its time uh, and, and balance through it's unbalanced if similarly if I move the stick forward and I let it drop uh, farther forward from the fulcrum it doesn't really fall forward from the weight of the stick. So if I put it back on the fulcrum again and I lift from the wrist and let the wrist just sort of drop without throwing it at the stick, you can hear the stick is at its maximally balanced point. And that's sort of what I call finding your fulcrum. So at this point, we've established the grip, which is sort of the pinch uh, of the, of the, between the thumb and the index finger. And the fulcrum, which is right behind that, is where the stick sits on the middle finger. Okay, now these are the three most important fingers in the grip, in the German grip. The back two fingers, let's talk about them for a second. The back two fingers are on the stick. In other words, they hold the stick in the hand. So they're definitely on the stick. We don't want to let them off the stick. But by the same token, they are not wrapped around the stick at all. They simply act as a rudder to hold the stick in the proper position in the hand. Okay? So if you still have maintained that kind of baby bird thing, you imagine that the way you're holding the stick, um, it's sitting on the middle finger, uh, and it's, it's relaxed in your hand. What you'll notice is there's kind of a gap um, that that is between the, the stick and, and the hand. It's as if the hand is like a wave crashing over the stick. And, and I think we've talked about that. We talked about that last time, that you want to have some space in your German grip because if you pull your hand all the way closed and there's no space, when you do strike the pad, the stick is going to have 
a very choked sound. So here's an open German grip, and we'll see if we can get a tone out of the stick or out of the pad. Now here's a closed German grip, tight, tightly squeezed hand versus so it may be kind of hard to hear uh, over the microphone, but when I show this difference to my students or have them try it over Skype, they can hear the difference over Skype. So the, the last really important point to make about the German grip is that the, the index finger. Now, if you look at that cover of uh, the Ted Reed book, Syncopation, and you look at Ted Reed's right hand, you will notice that as I have said, the only finger that's truly wrapped underneath the stick is the middle finger, the fulcrum point. The thumb is out on the stick and flat on the stick. And the index finger, you'll notice, is hanging down. The index finger is not wrapped around the stick. Now this is, I think, one of the greatest misconceptions that people have about German grip, is that somehow you're supposed to wrap your index finger, your first finger, your forefinger, you're supposed to wrap that finger around the stick and somehow hold on to it that way while you're playing. But again, I ask you, if you wrap your, your finger around that stick, now pull the stick out and leave your finger wrapped in that position, your finger's in a very awkward rolled up position and it's very hard to hold that position and eventually you would feel pain. It is not a natural way to hold your finger. So why would you hold your finger that way um, you know, in, 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 in creating this grip. It, it's not logical, it doesn't make sense, and it violates that rule that, you know, if, are you really able to get your ideas out and not hurt yourself in the way that you're holding the stick through your grip? And I would say that if you wrap your index finger around the stick, you're gonna have a lot of problems. So, but getting drummers to unwrap that finger is very tough, and one way to kind of think about this, say your hand is closed, say your index finger is tightly wrapped around the stick, and there's no space between your thumb and the other fingers. It's, it's sort of the whole thing is, is closed, your hand, closed tight. Imagine, try this, roll the stick down the index finger with the thumb. So roll it down the index finger, thumb stays on the stick until the stick is located sort of at the, the where that pinch, that grip happens is, is just at the first knuckle. So not all the way at the top of the index finger, but down just at the first the first notch, the first, where the first, you know, the first knuckle essentially. So now you've got sort of an open, some space there. And why do we need space there? Well, number one, we don't want to be all over the stick, which is something we talked about at the, on the last episode. If, if the more of us that's on the stick, the less, the more we're going to get in the way of what's supposed to be happening. So that's number one. But number two, you have to remember again that the stick, and we talked about this and we found nodal points last time and got the tone and the pitch of each stick, the the stick has the ability to resonate and to sing. And if our hand is all over that thing, we're going to choke the stick out. So part of this idea of this gap, of this wave crashing over the hand, uh, and, the, and the hand, and the, sorry, and the stick sitting on that, middle finger, um, that allows, that's going to allow, it's sort of almost a sound chamber that allows the stick to project. And, you know, I, I talked about this uh, on the last episode that, you know, Jim Chapin, my friend Henrique Delmeda, who's the professor at Berkeley, and we've talked a lot about, about molar technique, and of course, uh, Sanford Moeller's number one student was Jim Chapin, and Henrik studied with Jim, and Jim said, you know, you can really, if the, if you're not all over the sticks, you can really get them, and you're at the nodal point, which is where the, the stick would sit on the fulcrum spot on that middle finger underneath, now the stick can sing. And of course, if you can hear it sing on a pad where it's quiet, and you can really begin to um, define what's happening with your grip and your sound, when you move these things to a drum set where there's so much more excessive noise that can that can prevent us from understanding how to clearly and and articulately and consistently produce sound um well you know then if if you're not aware of these components of the grip then you're not going to be aware that the sounds that you're producing are kind of all over the place because the drums are loud however a microphone for example is going to pick up those 
those tiny little subtleties in your grip and in your consistency. And so that's why we need to work on a pad, get the sticks to sing. Then when we move to the drums, we, we can understand how to create a consistent sound on the drums, even though it might be being masked by the loudness of the drums and cymbals. So I hope that point is clear. So let's now look at the hinge in the German grip. And the hinge is in the wrist, at least for the moment. Again, we talked last uh, in the last episode about a wrist, arms, and fingers. These are all different mechanisms to control a stick. But if we're just, say, lifting and dropping the stick and just playing a basic stroke, let's talk about the wrist, the, 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 the hinge in the wrist. So a lot of people are confused as to if they're using, say, wrist strokes, well, where, how and where do I lift the stick? Um, what's the right way to do it? And of course, I'm always about keeping it as natural as possible. So if you hold the stick in your German grip, and by the way, if the stick is in the German grip in your hand, the butt end of the stick should be coming out the sort of the outside fleshy pad of the palm. We have two fleshy pads of the palm, right? One on the thumb side, one on the pinky side. And that stick should kind of be poking out at the one on the on the pinky side. So the stick is about at a 45 degree angle. So in other words, your arm, your hand, your wrist are straight as they would be hanging at your side. And then the stick comes out naturally at a 45 degree angle from that grip, from that position. Um, and if, if we assume that that's how we're holding the stick, now without moving your hand, pull your stick out, simply bring your hand down to the pad and knock as if you're knocking on a door. Right Now, notice a couple of things about when we knock. When we knock, uh, we don't drive our knuckles generally into the door and leave them there, right? We knock and we come off. We give a little knock and then we let the hand essentially rebound off the surface that we're knocking on. So the same should be applied to grip. In other words, the motion that you lift from should be very natural and should be... Um, you know, should just feel like a natural motion, knocking on a door, lift the wrist, let it fall, or throw it down, and then let it come off that surface. Again, it's it's so odd, I made this analogy last time about how a lot of times, you know, we, we walk down the street without thinking about it, normally upright, uh, without any tension. We don't even think twice about it. We sit down at the drum set and suddenly we could tort ourselves into, into all kinds of weird positions and all sorts of tension is there that we would never ever even think about when we were walking down the street or driving or eating or doing all the other activities we do. Yet when it comes to drumming, oh God, there's all this tension and I twist and, and bend myself into, uh, contort myself into unusual positions because I'm so used to there being tension and everything else in my playing. That's the way I've come to see normal the way that I sit at the drum set. So, you know, go back, don't do anything fancy yet, just simply knock on the door, lifting that wrist up and throwing it down and just letting it pop off the head like you'd be knocking on a door. And you could sort of say that the actual hinge position, if you look at, you know, the hand in German grip, hand is on top of the stick, go up to your wrist and from dead center, go over to the, if you're, if you're uh, using your right hand, go over sort of to the point where the thumb meets the first finger. And it's sort of like a little triangle point on the side of your wrist. Uh, just at the top of the hand. And you could see, you know, there's a natural place where the thumb and the uh, and the index finger, the bones from these meet at the wrist. That is sort of the spot you want to think about lifting into right there. Um, so that's the basics of the German grip. And again, as I said, I think I'll post a video that really kind of breaks this down so you can see visually what I'm talking about, the setup uh, of the German grip. So let's now move to the French grip. And of course, uh, the French grip is, you know, it, interesting. We, we talk about these names, the French grip, the German grip, without even thinking about where they really come from. But of course, a grip, where these grips were invented and first, um, you know, developed uh, was in Europe. And, um, you know, Austria, Switzerland, certainly Germany and France, all these areas kind of in Central Europe uh, was where the, the first... Um, you know, sort of formal way of playing grip, 
playing rudimental ideas was developed. And I may have gone over this last last time. It's kind of an interesting story that, um, you know, we talk a lot about Swiss rudiments. Uh, the Swiss, Switzerland's always been a uh, neutral country. And um, so, you know, the because they were neutral, the, the Swiss... Um, soldiers, and therefore the musicians that traveled with them were always hired out as mercenaries to the other armies. And so therefore it's their version of drumming, because of course drummers were there to give the signals and the commands in battle. Uh, they were an extremely important part of a functioning army. Uh, they, um, the, their techniques uh, are the ones that spread and eventually came over to America um, as European immigrants uh, came to America. And so, or to the United States, I should say. So, um, the the German grip is 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 noted for having the hand on top of the stick. The French grip is noted for having the thumb on top of the stick, and the French grip is perhaps uh, we most commonly used by uh, timpani players. At least, if we think about it again, before there was a drum set, uh, this grip is used in timpani because uh, it it makes a lot of sense because. When you stand above a timpani, uh, your hand is, is a little bit lower than it would be, say, if it was above a snare drum. And so uh, to have the thumb on top uh, makes, makes perfect sense. Um, also, you know, and a lot of drum set players don't necessarily use the French grip, but the, the other place where the French grip is ideal is when you're playing the ride cymbal. Uh, because if, you know, at, when you're at your drum set, of course, being over on the ride, it, it really makes a lot of ergonomic sense to have your thumb on top of the stick. So that's the most common usage that drummers uh, use the French grip. And also, for example, if you go down to your floor tom, it makes sense to have your thumb on top of the stick there. Um, we could get into a more complex conversation about moving between grips. So for example, if you're on the snare drum and you're in the German grip, and now you want to go up to the ride cymbal, uh, you can go from the German grip to the French grip, and there's a way to move that, again, is very ergonomic, very economic, and I eventually get there with my students. But, you know, or if, say from the snare drum to the floor tom. So there's kind of a method to the madness here about when we use these grips and why and how and how that serves us. But for now, we're just, in this particular um, episode, we're just talking about the grips themselves on a single surface. So the thumb on top. So the, let's set this up so we can identify the grip and the fulcrum and the hinge uh, here as well. Um, so what I want you to do is to hold your hand out, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, whatever your dominant hand is, and um, pretend you're shaking somebody's hand. And then lay the stick into uh, sort of the, the second knuckle of that hand, along the, the second knuckle, starting with your index finger, uh, and, and straight down. So the stick is perpendicular to the hand. And then reach your thumb across and lay it across the stick, across from the middle finger, so that the thumb is parallel to the other fingers. Now, I know a lot of people, when they play this grip, it looks like your thumb is uh, per is, is, is parallel to the stick. In other words, your thumb lies along the stick, similar to the German grip. But for the moment, let's open that hand up so that all of the fingers and the thumb are perpendicular to the stick, so that it looks kind of like um, a cross, you know, from how your fingers are pointing and the stick is pointing 90 degrees uh, upward, okay? Now, what, what I want you to think about is several things. Number one, the way you're holding that stick, think about that your hand is like, the four fingers are like a wall. So they're not gonna come apart and they're gonna stay uh, fairly rigid. And the reason why we want to create this four-finger wall is that we need to clarify the, the place and the space that the stick is moving over. So just feel the thumb is sort of across from the other four fingers, and it's holding the stick in place. And feel the snugness. Feel all four fingers against that stick. You don't have to squeeze the hell out of it. Just enough to hold the stick in place. And I should point this out as well. This is a good time to do this, that, you know, Grip means that you're not going to let go of the stick. And I did mention this in, in the last episode as well. But don't, uh, you know, a grip is a grip is a grip. That's what I always say. And what that means is you are holding on to the stick. Again, you don't have to crush it or squeeze it. But at these various grip points that we establish, don't let go. Don't ever let go. 
because that's what's going to cause the stick to move around in your hand. That's what's going to cause the stick to be in five different positions, depending on, you know, some people, like I said, you know, well, when I hold the stick this way, when I play this speed or this volume or this style of music, and then I hold it that way, and it's sort of like, well, what is a grip? If we can't define a grip and have it be that way, whatever style of music you're playing, however fast, however loud, however soft, a grip is a grip is a grip. It should be the same and consistent. And that means generally, and of course, this is a general assessment, but generally, do not let go at the grip area. Hold on to the stick, okay? And this is something that I don't think people think about that much. They they, they sort of think, well, if I throw the stick out and, and this and that, so then they're never really clear how they're holding it, okay? So French grip, um, the main grip component, thumb, lay it across the stick parallel to the other fingers. Now, once we get a better understanding of the grip and the fulcrum, we can close this hand back up again. But for now, keep it open. And now, imagine that spot, if you hold the stick upright, so your arm is, is, is parallel to the ground and the stick is pointing up, uh, the spot where your fulcrum is, is going to be the top of the index finger. So, so at the top of the index finger, at the top of that wall, and that second knuckle is the point where we want the stick to go over that spot. Um, so I always end up, before we get too in deep with working the stick over that fulcrum spot, just talking about the throw up exercise. And I think this would be a good time to do that. I did a whole podcast about the throw up exercise and, um, you should go look that up. Uh, if you go to the podcasts tab on danielglass.com, the podcast tab on the main menu, uh, all the list of, of all the episodes that I've done of the Daniel Glass show are there. And so you can hunt that one down. Um, it's, it's the, the importance of form. And then I demonstrate using this throw up exercise. So the idea now, let's talk about the hinge in the French grip. If you were to imagine, take the stick out of your hand without moving your hand. So your hand is still parallel to the, to the ground. Your whole forearm is. Imagine that you just grab an imaginary uh, doorknob and turn that doorknob back and forth. Do you see how your wrist and forearm are moving in a, in a sort of revolving motion? Uh, so that motion is, is the motion that when we do the throw-up exercise and just work this French grip and just get used to moving the stick that way, that's how they're gonna move. So if you go back now, put the stick back in your hand, Remember, the forearm is parallel to the ground, the stick is perpendicular to that, the thumb is holding the stick in this four-finger wall. The thumb is not all the way at the top of the wall or at the bottom of the wall, it's right in the middle of the wall across from that middle finger. And now, if you imagine, I've got my pad here, uh, if you just imagine that you're going to throw the stick by turning that doorknob right at the pad and let it bounce back to you, that's the throw-up exercise in the French grip. And we're just learning how to work the stick over that, that revolving motion, throwing it at the stick, and that is our hinge, at least our wrist hinge. And really in the French grip, everything comes from the wrist. So once, as I said, once we get comfortable with feeling all the various aspects and elements of this French grip, the fulcrum spot, hanging on to it, etc. we can begin to close that wall up a little bit. We're never gonna clutch the stick in our hand with the French grip, but we can begin to close those fingers and we can let that thumb come a little bit more parallel to the stick instead of being perpendicular to it. But the reason why I start my students in this sort of idealized version of the French grip uh, is because I want them to really begin to understand and be able to highlight these key elements of the French grip, which being, um, you know, the the, the grip component, the fulcrum component, and uh, the hinge, which in this case is that rotational motion of the wrist. So let's look at the third grip. Um, and the third primary grip, of course, is the traditional grip. Uh, the history of traditional grip is that it is also a rotational motion, a revolving motion that arose from the needs of, of marching drummers. Uh, marching drummers, of course, in the old days, they didn't have harnesses that kept the drum flat. They had a strap. 
And when you have a strap, the drum is naturally going to hang in one direction or the other, depending on at what point the strap is affixed to the top hoop. And in order for a drummer to march effectively with such a setup, such a design, uh, they, they would have to um, have the drum be at a slant so they could march and the drum stays at a slant. For those of you of my generation, when, when we were in high school and there were no harnesses and we were in high school marching band, uh, we had to deal with the same thing. And then you have a leg rest typically so that, so the drum sort of sits against your leg, but it is still somewhat awkward to march like that. But many millions of drummers have done it for hundreds of years before, uh, everybody was using harnesses. So with that setup, um, of course, it does not make sense to play, for example, in the German grip, because your hand would have to be at a very awkward angle in order to uh, be at the top end of that slant. On the bottom end, it's fine to let your hand hang down, and you can lift from the wrist and have your hand on top of the stick, because it's low enough. But at the highest point of that slant, uh, your hand is would be in a very awkward position. You'd have to stick your elbow out and it would be very crude. So what, what they started to do, what they, well, what they ended up doing was they put the hand underneath the stick and created this rotational motion. Again, like turning a doorknob, if you hold your hand straight out in front of you and turn a doorknob, uh, imagine the door is like right in front of you, you can see that's really the motion involved in the traditional grip. Uh, and, and that allowed... The, the hand to be under the stick, and then we could bring the stick down towards the drum, and that made much more sense uh, to compensate for the awkward positioning of the drum when they had to march. So that is where the traditional grip comes from. And I should even step back. I mean, it's we call it the traditional grip, so, so you know everybody just knows that term. But the reason that it is called the traditional grip is is uh, counter to the match grip, uh, and you know. I would be interested in finding out when, if traditional grip was called traditional grip, say, 100 years ago, when drummers really didn't play the match grip very often, uh, if ever, um, or if they just called it the grip, <laughs> you know, uh, that's a that's an interesting research point for me to, to go hunt down. But certainly now it's called traditional because it is the tradition uh, versus match grip, which, which really didn't become the default fundamental grip until... Uh, Ringo Starr used it on the Beatles' appearance in the on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, and at that point, um, the the need for that slant was no longer there. Drummers didn't have to use the traditional grip to effectively hit the drum. Uh, times were changing, music was getting louder, uh, so Ringo, um, you know, uh, for whatever reason, and that, that's another story again. But he he played both hands the same way. And other drummers had done that in the past. Generally, it was when they played solos or when they were hitting very hard. But very few drummers used the, the match grip as their default grip, as their main grip. Very, very few. Uh, so, in any case, the traditional grip is is thusly named. And I wonder, you know, we certainly say it as, as a grip to differentiate it from the match grip these days. So, um, the traditional grip. Let's talk about the grip component. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of confusions, I, I should say, before I get too much into the, the components. There are lots of, of misconceptions and confusions about traditional grip, and I want to address those because most of them are total poppycock and hooey, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and for those of you out there who think that you don't need the traditional grip or it's not something that applies to you, um, I would listen to this part of what I'm going to talk about because uh, somehow people, there are these misconceptions that, number one, the traditional grip is harder to learn than the other grips, that it's more complicated somehow. Um, not true. When I teach uh, grips to a beginner or I teach traditional to someone who has never um, played it before, uh, it's exactly the same steps that I would use to teach any of the other grips, and it takes just that much time, sometimes even less, to learn than the other grips. Part of the reason why, if you've never played traditional, then you have no quote-unquote bad habits. You have nothing to compare it to, and you're an open book. You're a blank slate. When I uh, went to Freddie Gruber, I had played regular traditional grip when I was in marching band in high school, but being a left-handed drum set player, I didn't want to play regular traditional grip in my left hand. So I wanted to learn traditional grip in my right hand, and Freddie just taught it to me from the ground up, and um, 
And, and I do the same for my students. So it is not harder to learn than the other grips. Number two, people say it's only for jazz guys because if you play rock, you can't get any power playing the traditional grip. Maybe if you're slamming in a metal band, that might be the case. But um, it's total BS that you cannot get power playing the traditional grip. And I would, uh, I, I would say that the reason that people, quote unquote, can't get power playing the traditional grip is because they're playing the grip incorrectly. Uh, they are not holding the stick right, their fulcrum is not correct, and they don't have the mechanism to, to get it happening. And I would also encourage you to check out drummers like Steve Smith and Vinnie Kaliuta and Dave Weckl and Jojo Mayer and Stuart Copeland and uh, Steve Ferroni and the hosts and hosts and hosts and hosts of other very hard-hitting drummers uh, who use the traditional grip all the time, or at least a good part of the time. And they don't seem to have any difficulty playing loud with it. Uh, my band, Royal Crown Review, and when I was in the Brian Setzer Orchestra, uh, well, Brian was, Brian was a little different. I, I had to play very fast shuffles, so I used more match grip. Uh, but with Royal Crown Review, which was a, even though it was a swing band, a jazz band, it was a very hard-hitting band. We played a lot of backbeat music, and I would crank it up and hit hard, and I used traditional for just about everything. And all of the tom work, the Gene Krupa-style tom work, which I did at very hard-hitting volumes, um, I did it all in traditional. So it's not true that that you can't get power. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, misconceptions about people say, well, there are many more muscles involved with traditional grip, and that's why it's harder to learn, and that's why only jazz guys use it, because uh, you use it for sophisticated playing. So it doesn't make sense to learn the traditional grip uh, because you don't need to use all those muscles. And then on the flip side, I've heard, well, there's more muscles involved in the match grip, and therefore that's why it's more ideal to play match grip. And I think... No, I don't know truly the number of muscles involved in each grip, but again, I think that's just total crap that's sort of been concocted by people who don't really know the basics. And, you know, unfortunately, once match grip did become the default grip, uh, as we move through generation after generation of drummers that never learned traditional grip and only learned match grip... Um, then the misconceptions about traditional grow and grow and grow because most drummers never experience traditional at all. Uh, or their teacher tells them, well, you don't need to learn it because I didn't learn it. And here are all the reasons why, which are the misconceptions that I just stated. So I always encourage people, if you are a, a, a interested in traditional, learn it. Find a good teacher, though. Uh, or me, come to me. I will teach you the right way to play traditional grip, and I'll teach it to you quickly and efficiently because um, it is a wonderful grip. And part of what I love about it and what I love teaching about it is exactly the opposite of German, that the hand is underneath the stick, and therefore you can see everything that's happening right in front of you because the hand is facing up, looking at you. One more misconception about the traditional grip before we get into the uh, the nuts and bolts of it, is that, um, well, the other, by the way, just to finish my last point, the other benefit of the hand being under the stick with traditional grip, as opposed to being over the stick with German grip, is that uh, if your hand is under the stick, it's much easier for you to simply uh, let that hand turn over and drop the stick down onto the head. Of course, keeping it in your grip while you do this, but using that rotational motion. And so I think one of the reasons that jazz drummers do use traditional grip in large numbers is because you can get a softer sound. And generally, of course, when you play jazz, you need to be able to really work the dynamics. So having your hand under the stick, you know, where there's, there's not a lot of mass on top of the stick. In German grip, with your whole hand on top of the stick, that's a lot of mass to be on top of the stick, gravity pushing it down. So um, traditional grip, hand under the stick, allows, I think, uh, I don't think it has anything to do with number of muscles, but I think it makes it easier for you to play soft things, delicate things, um, speedy things, all kinds of stuff. And you know, that doesn't preclude you using this grip if you play heavier styles of music as well. I mean, think about, you know, funk was created by jazz drummers. Rock and roll in the 50s was created by jazz drummers. Um, and all of these different styles grew out of jazz. And so when it comes to grip, all the originators of those styles were traditional grip players. So, you know, if you look at... Um, 
uh, uh, the famous drummer with James Brown, the funky drummer, uh, Clyde Stubblefield, you know, traditional grip. You look at Earl Palmer, who is the creator of rock drumming, traditional grip. And I know things have progressed, and I know that people hit harder these days than they have in the past, but to say that rock drummers don't play traditional or can't play traditional, or that funk drummers can't, just doesn't, it just doesn't hold water. Just doesn't hold water. So, um, the, I wanted to say one more misconception about the traditional grip. And that is that somehow when you play traditional, drummers instantly let their whole, if it's, if it's in your left hand, you know, uh, will let their whole left side, their whole left shoulder collapse and lean and dig into the left side and just let everything sag on that left side. And I, I think it's really interesting. I think somehow people think that when you play traditional, you're supposed to sort of drop down into it and drop everything down. And again, that that sh- shouldn't be farther from the truth. And, you know, people say, well, look at, you know, Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. They kind of had this hunch going on and all those old school Blue Note guys and everything. You know, the reason that those guys were hunched over had less to do with, well, it had everything to do with the fact that their gear was not good. (laughs) It was very primitive. So you couldn't raise the hi-hat stand very much, or you couldn't raise the throne very much. A lot of guys uh, for years sat on a trap case or a canister throne uh, or, um, you know, a a chair with a box on it. I mean, you, you see pictures of the most famous drummers in the world, Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, these guys in the 1950s, they're all sitting on their trap case with a coat thrown over it for quote-unquote cushioning. So, you know, they they had to deal with going to the gear where the gear was. They, they, they didn't have the um, option of bringing the gear to them. And as a result of that, they had to hunch or twist themselves to get there. But today, we don't have to do that. Uh, our gear, the gear we, we have today is phenomenal. It, we can adjust it any way we want. And so, again, if you look at all those guys that I mentioned before, Dave Weckl and uh, Steve Smith, et cetera, et cetera, none of them hunch over, not one. They're all upright. They're well-balanced. Why? Because they're excellent drummers with excellent form, excellent grip. So they sit and position them well, themselves well, hold the sticks well, move well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this idea that, that you have to hunch over when you play traditional is also kind of a bunch of poppycock. So let's move on and let's uh, let's talk about the, the grip in the traditional grip. Now, there, again, a lot of people are confused about this, and the grip is actually the web, the webbed space between your thumb and your index finger. So if you put the stick, you open that up, put the stick in there, and you squeeze from the base of the thumb, that is where you hold the stick in the traditional grip. Now, before we get to the fulcrum component in traditional, let's talk about this rotational motion, because um, this combined with the grip that we just mentioned, that little squeeze, is really all you need to play traditional grip. The rest of the fingers and the hand and all of that is is there to help to house things better. But it's really the twisting motion of the wrist and where we're holding the stick. And you could pretty much almost do anything you want. You could do doubles, you could do uh, molar, you can do um, you know a lot of things just with an op- a completely open hand. Okay, so for the moment, open your hand up and squeeze the stick between the thumb and the first finger and really squeeze it at the base. Again, don't squeeze hard. Just hold on enough that you don't have to let go. And using that rotational motion, lift the stick up. So your starting point is going to be with a flat palm facing up. Now, when you have a flat palm facing up, you'll notice, and your hand, your thumb is alongside your hand, not forward, but alongside it, and again, stretched out, you'll notice that the stick is up about 75 degrees, 60 to 75 degrees. So with the stick starting at 75 degrees and your hand, your palm open completely, a little bit of squeeze on the stick, throw that at the pad using sort of that turning of the doorknob motion, and then feel the stick rebound and come back with it to that 60 to 75 degrees up. Now, if you do this as if you're throwing a basketball, you can easily feel that throw up exercise, that movement of the stick where it just flows and flies back to you. You get a nice beefy rebound and all you're doing is rotating your hand. So you want to imagine that that the stick is a propeller and your hand is a propeller shaft. 
Now, again, and so what does a propeller shaft do? It just turn, it just rotates. It just spins in a circle, essentially. So now try another experiment similar to the one we did in the German grip. Pull the stick all the way back so there's barely any of it poking out the, the backside of this grip and try the same motion. What you'll notice is you don't get nearly the rebound. And in fact, you, it hurts in a way. Um, now take that stick and slide it all the way forward, way past the fulcrum point or the, the point where you were gripping before. And you'll notice again, you don't get much rebound. So you wanna start by balancing the stick in your hand so that you could simply throw it and the stick naturally bounces back to you just from that rotational motion. And then the second piece of this is once you get comfortable with that, get those back two fingers and glue them down on, on your hand. And what I mean by that is don't roll them up, but feel that the tips of the fingers, the pads of the fingers pressed against lightly against the palm. Don't reach for the bottom of the palm, just fold them over or lay them down on the palm essentially, and then let them stay there and don't come back. And try the same exercise again, and you'll really feel that this is the crux of what it means to play traditional grip, is to, is to hold the stick in that web thing between the thumb and the index finger, rotationally throw it at the drum, and then feel it rebound. Now, of course, there's a lot more involved with all of these grips. In the traditional grip, people say, well, should my, you know, should my fingers be open? Should they be closed? And it's, you know, it's a complicated answer because when I teach the grip, sometimes they're open, sometimes the hand is open, and sometimes the hand is closed. So it's not all of one thing or the other. But again, I think that gets past our purview today. Um, I, I think, you know, what my goal was today is to just simply establish the fundamentals of each of the three grips, maybe put up a video, uh, like I said, showing how each of these is used in the throw-up exercise. And um, that might be a good starting point, or for some, it might really help to clarify things. You know, for people who've been playing traditional for a long time and they never knew about this spot where to actually hold the stick, even just doing this one exercise, this throw-up exercise with your wrist, throwing the stick at the pad, and just holding onto the stick there, that can provide a huge amount of clarification uh, for, for, for drummers. So um, again, I'm gonna leave it there. If you have any questions, hit me up. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page, Daniel Glass, Drummer, Author, Educator. You can uh, shoot me a message on the Drummer's Resource page on the actual where this podcast is hosted. Uh, you can send me an email, go to my website. You know me. I'm around. I'm available. And I love talking about technique. And if you have other ideas about how the technique should be or if you have questions, I'm happy to discuss them with you. I've thought a lot about this over the years, talked with it with a lot of other great drummers and um, you know people that are kind of technique freaks. And certainly for me, this technique has worked really well in allowing me to play in a way that allows me to effectively do what I want to do uh, in a way that, that is uh, ideally tension-free and, and flowing. All right, so thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you next time around on The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource. Drummer's Resource.